So we're at Philippians 4. Philippians 4. Um, verse 6 and 7. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard. Today we're going to talk about living free from anxiety. Living free from anxiety. That should interest everybody. Amen? Philippians 4, 6 and 7 from the New American Standard says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 from the New American Standard says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him. Because he cares for you. So today we're talking about living free from anxiety. Living by faith doesn't guarantee that we will never have any problems. But if we learn how to live worry-free uh, and we don't give up, with the help of the Holy Spirit, the Lord will always cause us to triumph over every situation. Now, let's turn to John 16. Well, I, I'm going to turn there. But we've got quite a lot of scripture today, so I put it on PowerPoint for you to, so we won't have to sp spend a lot of time turning. Uh, when I want you to actually turn to a scripture, I'll tell you. But I've I've done this for you to just to help move things along. John 16:33. Jesus said, "These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world." Now this word tribulation in this verse means a situation so difficult that it causes one to feel stressed, squeezed, pressured, or crushed. A heavy, uh, a heavy pressure situation. Uh, one scholar described it uh, in the ancient times. They would take a, a man, they would tie him up with a rope, they would uh, lay him on his back and they would put a huge boulder on his chest until it eventually, gradually crushed him to death. And this is a Greek word that's used to describe that. That's the kind of pressure we're talking about. Uh, Paul uses the word tribulation or tribulations 
eight times in the New Testament uh, to describe the intensity of persecution against the early churches, the early believers, and against himself personally. So this is a heavy, heavy pressure situation. Uh, Jesus says in the world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Now this word good cheer uh, is actually, in the Greek, it's actually one word, and it means to be courageous, or to take heart would be a better translation, but it means to be courageous. Um, be courageous, I have overcome the world. Now, the God's Word translation says, I've told you this so that my peace will be with you. In the world, you'll have trouble. But cheer up, I have overcome the world. Now, this world overcome, in the Greek, is the word of uh, it means victory. It's the word uh, nikos or nikos. That's where we get the word Nike, shoe company. It means victory. Um, and it doesn't just refer to a victory, a one-time victory in the past. In the Greek tense, it actually means an abiding continual victory. In other words, Jesus said, I am still overcoming the world, and I will always be in an overcoming position over the world. That's what it actually means in the Greek tense. So this is not just a one-time overcoming. Now the word world here is the word cosmos, and it refers to the human systems in the world that the enemy uses to attack the church and God's people. So this is not the earth, this is the, the world systems, human systems of the world. Um, you know, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, uh, it says Satan is the, the God, little God of this world. That's what it's the same word. He's the little <laughs> God of this world system, the human systems that he uses to come against the church and God's people. So we're going to see uh, in the Word, as we go through these scriptures and through this study, often scriptures that talk about worry and anxiety are often connected to the subject of the peace of God. And that's very important. So keep that in mind. We're not going to get through all of this today. But uh, as we go throughout this, you're going to often see Anxiety, when, they, when Jesus or Paul talks about anxiety and worry, they also connect it with the peace of God. There are people out here in the world system, these un, unbelieving, the unsaved, lost people, they have never experienced one day of peace in their entire lives. And I would suspect that very few of God's people are experiencing the peace of God on a regular daily basis. They're full of cares, uh, they're anxious, and they're worried. Uh, worry and anxiety have become 
so much a part of their lives that they're not even aware of it. They're not even aware of the anxiety and the worry that they carry. And millions of Christians don't even believe that it's possible to live any other way. They don't believe it's possible to live without care and worry in their life. But that's not true. The Word of God tells us differently. The Word of God says that we can live free from worry and anxiety. Uh, as a matter of fact, Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, I have come that you have life and you have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. In the message translation, he said, I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Jesus came that we have more and better life than we ever dreamed of. And a life free of worry and anxiety is a life that many Christians can't even dream of. Most Christians can't even dream of a life free from worry and anxiety. But we're going to see in the Word that not only is it possible, it is a command. And it, it should be normal for every believer. It should not be normal for a child of God to live day in and day out, uh, burdened down with full of cares and worry and anxiety. That should not be normal for a believer. Uh, here it says, but cheer up, I have overcome the world. Let's say this together. Cheer up, lighten up. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus is saying cheer up and lighten up. Amen. Hallelujah. Now I can already hear people saying, yeah, but, and you don't understand. <laughs> I can already hear people thinking that. But, uh, you know, how do you know that I don't understand? And even if I didn't understand, God understands. And, uh, you know, Jesus said, uh, he understands and that's all that matters. So, this is possible. Amen? Hallelujah. The peace of God is the opposite of care, anxiety, worry, and frustration. Uh, the peace of God is what everyone in the world is looking for, but the only source of true peace is in Christ. You cannot find the peace of God in any world religion. You can't find it in philosophy. You can't find it in mind science or mental discipline. You can't find it in education or drugs. You cannot find the true peace of God anywhere except in Christ. Now, um, Proverbs 12.25. Oh, I must have skipped one. No, I didn't. I've just got it in the Amplified Translation instead of the King James. Okay. Proverbs 12.25 in the Amplified says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but an encouraging word makes it glad. 
The New King James Version says, Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. The word uh, anxious, I looked up in the dictionary. It means greatly concerned respecting something future or unknown, being in painful suspense. Anxiety in the dictionary means a state of uneasiness, worry, abnormal fear that lacks a specific cause. Now some people may say, well I have specific causes to be worried, anxious, and fearful. But Satan is the god of this world system. He's not our god. Uh, everyone who is not in Christ is under uh, his control and subject to him. But even though we are in this world, we are not of this world. So yes, everybody uh, can have specific reasons and we all have many opportunities to allow anxiety, worry, to get on the inside of us. We all have the opportunity to allow anxiety and worry to get on the inside of us. But we are in Christ Jesus, and because we are in Christ, because we are in Christ, we don't have to let the cares and worries of life get into our heart and our mind. We don't have to let it get in there. Hallelujah. Just leave that door open, Nancy, and, and you can uh, just pull it all the way back. Just pull it all the way back. Yeah. Hallelujah. So because we're in Christ, we can live anxiety-free, and we don't have to let the cares and worries of life get into our heart and mind. And this is one of the major things I want you to take away from this. Uh, is that we don't have to let these cares and worries get on the inside of us. Our lives should be drastically different from unsaved people who, were, who are without God and without, without hope and without God in the world. Uh, as a rule, we don't deal with major catastrophes and life crises on a daily basis. It's a little thing here, a little thing there. Uh, that you allow it to ruin your day. You know, one of your kids um, or grandkids or nieces or nephews or whatever, they knock over a glass of milk. Don't let it ruin your whole day. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, the Bible says it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. Song of Solomon 2 Verse 15, the little foxes spoil the vines. These little things here and there throughout the day uh, that, that you don't need to allow them to ruin your entire day. We need to learn what is important and what is not important in the greater scheme of life. What's, what's valuable, what's important, what's not really a big deal in the major scheme of life. And this is the second major thing I want you to take away with you.
is to learn to recognize what's really important and what really needs your attention now and what is not a big deal. Let's say this out loud together. Don't sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. Amen. Hallelujah. Don't sweat the small stuff. Now, Proverbs 15, verse 15 says, Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. The Amplified here says, All the days of the desponding and afflicted are made evil by anxious thoughts and forebodings. But he who has a glad heart has a continual feast, regardless of circumstances. He who has a glad heart has a continual feast, regardless of circumstances. Some people, you know, say, well, I'll be glad when my circumstances change and I'll have peace. Well, you don't have to wait because uh, peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to pray for it. If when you're in Christ, it's already in you. And uh, you can experience the peace of God regardless of circumstances. And that's what I want to, to point out in all this. And this is what I want us to be able to take away from this. The Passion Translation says, Everything seems to go wrong when you feel weak and depressed. But when you choose to be cheerful, every day will bring you more and more joy and fullness. Um, notice, choose to be cheerful. We can choose to be cheerful. Uh, choosing to be cheerful is a major key to living anxiety-free. Choosing to be cheerful. We can choose to be cheerful and trust God, or we can choose to be worried, anxious, depressed, and frustrated. <coughs> now, some people may say, well, I can't help it. Well, yes, we can help it. Amen? We can help it, and that's what we're, we're learning. That's what we're going to learn in this. We can help it, and we're going to look at scriptures that, that tell us that we can. And a good place to start would uh, be to stop confessing, I can't help it. <laughs> That's the best place to start. Just stop confessing, I can't help it. Now, if you're the kind of person that makes a mountain out of a molehill, do you know what I mean by that? Here, I think they say a storm in a teacup. Yeah, storm in a teacup or a, a molehill into a mountain, a mountain out of a molehill. You're very intense about everything. You blow everything out of proportion. You want God to show you everything in advance, and you don't have to walk by faith. If, you, if you're this kind of person, you're probably not going to experience much peace and joy in this life. Now, there are two indicators that you are in faith and you're trusting God. Joy and peace. Check out your joy level and your peace level. If you've lost your joy and your peace, 
You've gotten out of faith and you've gotten over into fear, worry, anxiety, frustration, and anger. <clears throat> if you don't learn to develop endurance and patience while you are waiting for something, you will never have peace. So peace and patience also go together. When you have a problem, pray and trust God. Let's say that out loud. Pray, trust God. Amen. So you can't pray, trust God, and worry all at the same time. You've got to abandon one in order to do the other. Hebrews 4, verse 3, in the International Children's Bible says, We who have believed are able to enter and have God's rest. Notice the phrase, we who have believed. Past tense, we who have believed are able to en enter and have God's rest. Hebrews 4. 9 to 11 in the Amplified. Also talking about entering the rest of God. So then there is still awaiting a full and complete Sabbath rest reserved for the true people of God. For he who has once entered God's rest also has ceased from the weariness and pain of human labors. Just as God rested from those labors peculiarly his own. <clears throat> therefore, let us therefore be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter that rest of God, to know and experience it for ourselves, that no one may fall or perish by the same kind of unbelief and disobedience under which those in the wilderness fell. How do you enter into the rest of God? By faith, simply trusting and believing what God has already said. Those who have believed, not believe when it's finished, not believe when you've got it, not believe when the circumstances change. We, we can, you know, a lot of people say, well, when my circumstances change, I'll, I'll I'll be at, I can be at rest. I can have peace. We don't have to wait till then. We, we, can have, we can experience the peace of God regardless of our circumstances. So entering uh, the rest of God is simply by believing and trusting God, and you have to stay there because the devil will use circumstances, feelings, thinking about the situation, to move you out of that place of rest and to get you back over into anxiety and fear about the situation. How many people think they are trusting God and worry all the time? So don't go around, don't go round and round the problem in your mind trying to figure out what's going on trying to figure out how God's going to do this, uh, trying to figure out how you are going to fix this. Don't, 
Don't keep going round and round. This is how you let these cares in. This is how these worries and anxieties and the cares of this life get in is by going round and round in your mind over it and, and, and thinking, why am I going through this? Why is this happening? When's this going to come to an end? Uh, you know, turn into the arm of the flesh. You trying to fix the problem. Uh, that's not trusting God. That's, that's not the rest of God. So joy, peace, and entering into God's rest comes from trusting God and not trying to do his job for him. We have a part, and God has a part. And our part is to pray and trust God and cast the care of it over on him and leave it there. And don't go there mentally again. 1 Peter 3, verse 4, in the Amplified, he's talking about the inner man or the, the spirit of man. He's talking about the, the inner man, the hidden man of the heart. In the Amplified, it says, a gentle and peaceful spirit, which is not anxious. Just, just leave it. Oh, okay. Um, a gentle and peaceful spirit, which is not anxious or wrought up, but is very precious in the sight of God. So Peter says, a gentle and peaceful spirit, one that's not anxious or wrought up, is very precious in the sight of God. Now this word wrought uh, is an old English word that just means work. Worked up. Uh, in this verse, he contrasts a gentle, peaceful spirit with the opposite of being anxious, agitated, and worked up about something. So what we're usually anxious and worked up about are mistakes in the past or the unwarranted fear or dread of something in the future that hasn't even happened yet. Worrying about something in the future that hasn't even happened yet. This is what we saw in Proverbs 15, 15, evil forebodings. This just dreading, this heavy dread on you, and you don't even know, you don't even have a reason for it. Uh, but this fear of the unknown or, or fear of something in the future that hasn't even happened uh, is evil forebodings. Why is the devil interested in you being anxious and worked up about things that have already happened or something that has never happened? Why does he want you anxious and worked up either about something that happened yesterday or something that's never even happened? It's because he wants to rob you of your joy and your peace and to rob you from enjoying uh, the good life and the blessings of God today. He wants to rob you of enjoying life today. He wants you worried and anxious instead of believing and trusting God. Now let's turn over to Job, which is right before Psalms. Job chapter 5.
Job chapter 5, verse 22. At destruction and famine, thou shalt call the devil names. Is that what it says? No. At destruction and famine, thou shalt worry and fret and figure out how to figure the how to fix the problem ourselves. No. At destruction and famine, thou shalt laugh. At destruction and famine, thou shalt laugh. Now I looked up the word laugh in Hebrew. It means to rejoice, to play, to be amused about something. It also means to mock, to tease, to taunt, to ridicule. While it primarily means to laugh, it occasionally means to play. And in the negative sense, it refers to the behavior of rowdy, mocking crowds who come together to ridicule someone for sport and entertainment. This is the way God deals with the devil. This is the way God deals with his enemies. A similar verse tells us the same thing. Psalm 2 verse 4. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The God's Word translation says, The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord makes fun of them. The Lord, this is the way God treats, looks on his enemies. He's not up there wringing his hands, worrying about how am I going to fix this, what am I going to do. No, he mocks, he teases, he ridicules, he taunts the devil for sport and entertainment. This is how God entertains himself. He does it for fun. This is the way God looks on his enemies. He's, he's, and this is the way we need to look on him because God's already written the, the end of the book. And we, all we got to do is read the end of the book and we win. We win. He's on our team. He's on our side. And we need to start robbing the devil of his peace and his joy instead of allowing him to rob us of our peace and joy. We need to start robbing him of his peace and his joy and mocking and teasing and playing with him and reminding him, you know, <laughs> that Jesus has already defeated him. He's a loser. We already know his future. Remind him of his future. We have a bright future. He has a disastrous future, and he doesn't want to be reminded of that. But we can, we can do this in the midst of our circumstances. We need to start uh, robbing the devil of his peace and his joy and not allow him to just bombard our mind. We don't need to be on the defense all the time. We need to get on the offense because this is not what he expects us to do. Uh, when you laugh at him and you make fun of him in the midst of circumstances, he doesn't like that. He doesn't expect you to do that. He's a creature of pride. He wants you to take him seriously. He wants you to be serious all the time. 
He wants you to just crawl up in a corner somewhere and, and, and feel sorry for yourself. That plays right into his hands. But when you laugh at him and you mock him and you remind him of his defeat, he hates it. The, the, la the worst thing people of pride hate is somebody laughing at them. He wants you to take him seriously, so don't do it. We need to learn what is really important and what is a waste of time to get upset about. And this is a major key to living free from anxiety. Recognize what's really important in life and what is not a big deal. Write this down. To live in the joy of the Lord, we must find something to be glad about besides our current circumstances. To live in the joy of the Lord, we must find something to be glad about besides our current circumstances. This sounds like Proverbs 15. He who has a glad heart has a continual feast regardless of the circumstances. And any Christian in the Western world should not have to look very far to find something to be glad about. So let's say this out loud. Lighten up and laugh more. Amen? Hallelujah. Now let's talk about three uh, categories or areas of anxiety. Three categories that, can, that cause anxiety. Um, the past and the future. Worrying about the past and worrying about the future. This is a major cause of anxiety. The devil wants to rob you of the joy of your salvation today. We need to learn to be now people. We need to live in the now. Not trying to deal with yesterday and not trying to deal with something that hasn't even happened tomorrow. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2 says, Today is the day of salvation. Hebrews 3.15 and chapter 4 verse 9 says, Today if you will hear his voice. Ephesians 2.13 says, Now we are in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 10.38 says, Now the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Are you over planning, over scheduling, or overextending yourself? Do you attempt to do too many things in one day? Do you prioritize what you really need to give your attention to today and what can be dealt with another time? Do you start one task and before finishing it, begin another one? 
And at the end of the day, you've worked hard, you're tired, you've been busy, but at the end of the day, you're frustrated because you didn't finish anything that you started all day. You started all these multiple things, but before you finished one, you started another, and now you got three or four unfinished things, and now you got to deal with that tomorrow, besides tomorrow, <laughs> you know? So Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, the easy to read version says, the load I give you to carry is light. I heard Brother Copeland say one time back in the early years, he was preaching somewhere and he came in his hotel room and he just flopped on the bed. And uh, he said, Lord, you said your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And the Lord said, it is. It's everything else you've added to it that's hard. You're making it hard because of everything else you've added to it. Uh, things you, you, I haven't even asked you to do. So 1 Peter 5, 8, Amplified Classic says, Be well balanced. Temperate, sober of mind. One reason uh, people have difficulty trying to do one thing at a time is because mentally they're still thinking about yesterday and whatever was unfinished or whatever happened, or they're mentally thinking about tomorrow or what they need to do tomorrow or something that hasn't even happened yet, and that's why they can't focus on today and they can't. Uh, start and finish something to completion because mentally they're, they've left today and they're over into yesterday or they're over in tomorrow. Now I've heard women say this and I don't think it's, I don't think you can generalize this statement. I don't think that's fair. But I've heard women say that men cannot multitask. Now I don't believe that's true. <laughs> I think that's just a generalized statement and I, you know, there are probably exceptions to that. But my question is, why is anybody multitasking? You know, why is anybody having to do that? Now, your mind was not created to concentrate on more than one thing at a time. And I don't think God created us to be multitasking. Now, I know in the society we live in, it's pretty common. I know, um, you know, my work, uh, you know, over the years, uh, in order to save money, when people would leave, they didn't replace them. So the staff goes down and the workload goes up. So you've got fewer and fewer people trying to do more and more work. And, and what you used to be assigned to do, you know, uh, one or two tasks, now you got three or four tasks. And you really, you got to be really organized to get, get it together uh, in order to, to do all that. Uh, the last lab I worked at, there was one scientist operating four analyzers at one time. And none of them were fully automated. They all required some hands-on attention. And if something went wrong with one of them, you definitely got to be hands-on. And, and after he complained, they, they finally 
sent somebody to helping for part of the day. But we were not created uh, to, to be able to concentrate on more than one thing at a time. <clears throat> Are you trying to do things you're not even gifted or anointed to do? Are you taking on other people's responsibility and care just to please them? Has God even asked you to do everything you're involved in? You know, there are people that they're on three committees and the school governors and they volunteer for, you know, this organization and that organization and their own, you know, all these civic uh, they organize a marathon and all this, you know, and they're just run to a frazzle. And, and we need to ask God, what does he want us involved in? What's important to him? And what do we need to be spending our precious time involved in? And one of the things that can help, uh, you know, reduce anxiety and help us to live free from it it's just to simplify your life. You know, just simplify your life and prioritize your task. Um, I heard Gloria Copeland say, you know, at their, their prayer cabin in Arkansas, they were up there once, and, um, you know, they got bicycles and motorcycles and things to do while they're there. Uh, but she said, we were spending all of our time, and of course it's out in the country, you got to drive like eight miles or something to town, and she said, we were spending all of our time running up and down the road to town and back for some part for the lawnmower or some part for the bicycle or something that broke, you know. And we were wearing ourselves to a frazzle. She said, we were supposed to be there to rest, you know. And she had this revelation one day, this little old man sitting on his front porch who had nothing but kind of electricity and running water. And they would pass by him every day and he's sitting in his rocking chair out on the front porch, just totally peaceful, calm, not a care in the world. And she says she suddenly had this revelation. That's the way you're supposed to be living, you know. And she said, I went home and I started cleaning out the garage and I started getting rid of some stuff that's just taken up, all, you know, all of your time and just wearing you out. So we need to simplify our lives and prioritize our tasks. In Hebrews 13:8, it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus always lived in the present. He always lived in the present. And if you're a born-again believer, you are in Christ. You don't even have a past anymore. Your past has been removed. So God will never bring up your past to you. If your past comes up to you, it's the devil bringing it up. You don't, as far as God's concerned, you don't even have a past. If the devil tries to remind you of your past, like I said, start reminding him of his future and don't allow him to ruin your day. In uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you never see Jesus wringing his hands, fretting, worrying, you know, about today, and certainly not tomorrow. He had emotions, 
and he had responsibilities, but he controlled his emotions and he prioritized his responsibilities. He found out from God what the plan was and he carried out the plan. And he didn't allow anything else to distract him from that. You know, when, when he fed the 5,000 and they didn't have enough food, when they ran out of uh, wine at the wedding, uh, you know, he, he was cool and calm. He was as cool as a cucumber. I mean, actually, the wedding wasn't his responsibility. It wasn't his wedding. It was somebody else's wedding, you know. But they came to him to fix it. You know, we run out of wine. Um, and so they came to him to fix it, and he did. But, but you never see him get flustered. He, he, he found out from God what the plan was to fix it, and he just carried out the plan. So in for, some form or fashion, Jesus experienced everything we will ever face in life. But we will never face what he, we will never experience what he faced in life. He came here as a man, and he had to deal with the mundane affairs of life just like we do. In addition to that, he had constant opposition. People trying to figure out ways to, to kill him everywhere he went on top of everything else. But he did not allow them to steal his peace and his joy. In John 14, 27, he said, my peace I give to you. We have the peace of Jesus. We have Jesus' own personal peace, but we have to yield to it just like he did, and we have to cast the cares and anxious thoughts over on the Lord just like he did. So if you're constantly worrying about yesterday or worrying about tomorrow, you're going to find life hard, and you're not going to enjoy life today. So write this down. Don't let other people's bad decisions ruin your life. Don't let other people's bad decisions ruin your life. If you can compensate uh, or if you can make recompense for yesterday's mistakes, do it. You know, if you need to, to go to someone and forgive them for something they did wrong to you, do it. If you need to go to someone and ask them to forgive you, do it. But stop looking backward and start enjoying today. Don't allow other people's mistakes or your own mistakes in the past to ruin your today. You know, sometimes you hear people say, well, if I had it to do all over again, I would do so and so. Yeah. Well, knowing what you know now through the word and through experience, if you were to go back to that place in time again, you might do it differently. But if you went back to that same place in time with the very limited to the very same information and the, and the same knowledge you had at that time, you would, you would make the same decision because you, you only had this information to, to work with. I once, heard, uh, I once read a book by a motivational speaker. He wasn't 
a Christian, uh, but I thought he, he gave some advice that was quite good. He said, take a sheet of paper and write down your could-haves, would-haves, and should-haves. Everything you could have done, should have done, would have done if, if so-and-so, you know. If so-and-so would have happened, I would have done so-and-so, you know. Take all your could-haves, would-haves, should-haves. Take a match and burn the paper as a symbol of putting this behind you. Putting this behind you and don't mentally go there again. I thought that was good advice. That, that's just an outward way to really act on that. Philippians 3, 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. The Living Bible says, I am still not all I should be, but I am bringing all my energies to bear on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. The Message Translation. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm often running, and I'm not turning back. Let's say that out loud together. I'm often running, and I'm not turning back. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes you hear parents say about their kids, when they get out of diapers, it's going to be wonderful. When they sleep all night, and they stop teething, it's going to be wonderful. When they start the school, it's going to be wonderful. When they get out of these teenage years uh, and, uh, and they finish school, it'll be wonderful. When they get a job, it'll be wonderful, you know? Um, and they're, they're going to enjoy their kids someday in the future, but not now. And your kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, whatever, they're going to grow up just like that, and they're going to be gone. So you need to enjoy them now. People say, when I get my new kitchen, I'll be happy. When I get my new bathroom, when I get my new car, you know, they're going to be happy. And there's nothing wrong with any of these things. But there's always going to be something you want and it's always something that you're waiting for. And so you need to start enjoying today in the meantime and not saying, I'll be happy when. When I get that, I'll be happy. No, we need to start enjoying life now. We can't put our, our happiness and our joy and our peace dependent on things that we don't even have yet. And waiting till we get these things, and then we're gonna have peace, and then we're gonna enjoy life. That's not the way God wants us to live. Write this down. You can't wait until everything is perfect before you start enjoying life. 
You can't wait until everything is perfect before you start enjoying life. So the next time you're tempted to get anxious or upset about something, especially something in the past or the future, turn your mind on what's going on today and enjoy the now because you will never have this day again. We will never have September 8, 2018 ever again. This is it. A second area that causes anxiety, confrontations and conversations. Confrontations and conversations. Mark 13. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what you shall speak, neither do you premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye, for it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now here Jesus is warning his disciples in advance that when they go out and preach the gospel like he's commanded them to, they're going to come up against opposition and persecution. And there will even be times when they are arrested and they're taken before officials. Now the Amplified Classic says, Now when they take you to court and put you under arrest, do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say, nor even meditate about it, but say whatever is given you at that time and at the moment, for it is not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. The message says, Don't worry about what you'll say. When the time comes, say what's on your heart. The Holy Spirit will make his witness in and through you. Now this doesn't mean that you never prepare in advance for something. If you have a meeting with someone about a business transaction or if you're making a proposal in a business uh, situation, if you've got to take an exam, uh, you know, of course, you're going to prepare the best you can. If you go ask your employer for a pay rise or time off, something like that, you know, you, you can have some idea of what you're going to uh, ask them when, when you, in advance, before you talk to them. But if you realize that you're getting fretful and anxious and upset, sometimes it's an indication that you're trusting in your own ability to persuade these people instead of trusting the Holy Spirit. So don't try to figure out every scenario in advance. Well, if I go to them and, and I say this and they say that, then what am I going to say? What, if they say no, what am I going to say? If, 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 if they don't do what I ask them to do, you know, what do I do then? Don't try to make up all these scenarios and try to figure out uh, everything in advance. That just creates anxiety. Instead, Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. The message translation says, Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Now this is a major cause of anxiety. Trying to figure out everything on your own. 
First Peter 5, 7, what did it say? Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Casting all your anxiety upon him. Listen for God's voice in everything you do. Everywhere you go, he's the one who will keep you on track. The Living Bible. If you want favor with both God and man and a reputation for good judgment and common sense, then trust the Lord completely. Don't ever trust yourself. Uh, you remember Esther spent 12 months preparation in advance before she became queen. And uh, when she found out that the king had been tricked into making a decree that would destroy all the Jews, when it came to her knowledge, um, her relative came to her and said, you got to use your influence with the queen to stop this and do something about it. And of course, she was very fearful about it. And after she called three days of fasting and prayer, and she decided this was the will of God for her to go before the king on behalf of the Jews. So she obeyed, and when the day came, she did not trust in her own ability, her own intelligence, or her own education. And in chapter 7, it says, and the king said to Esther on the second day also as they drank their wine, what is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you, and what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom it shall be done. Then Queen Esther replied, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be spared as my petition and my people be spared as my request. And in the next chapter, it says Esther found favor with the king. She said, if I found favor in your sight, reverse the decree to destroy the Jews. And he did. He granted her request. She trusted God. She was not relying in her own ability to persuade the king. She was not trying to figure it out out all in advance ahead of time she just uh, trusted God and the, and she asked the Lord for favor the Lord that granted her favor so you ask the Lord for favor with with whom everybody you have to deal with everybody you have to speak to and and everybody you have to go before ask the Lord for favor beforehand Let's say this out loud. Favor, Amen. trust God, trust not, God. Yourself. not yourself. Okay, let's look at the uh, one more area of anxiety. Let's turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Um. I'm going to read from uh, the Amplified Classic. Luke 10, 38. The third area we're going to look at today uh, that causes anxiety. 
duties, obligations, and wrong priorities. Duties, obligations, and wrong priorities. Now, while they were on their way, it occurred that Jesus entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha received and welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary who seated herself at the Lord's feet and was listening to his teaching. But Martha, overly occupied and too busy, was distracted with much serving. And she came up to him and said, Lord, is it nothing to you that my sister has, has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me, to lend a hand and to do her part along with me. But the Lord replied to her by saying, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. There is need of only one or but a few things. Mary has chosen the good portion, that which is to her advantage, which shall not be taken away from her. Now Jesus is, has come to have a teaching meeting, a session in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So if you take Jesus, let, let's assume there were at least 16 people there. Jesus, 12 disciples, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. That's 16, let's say. There could have been more we don't know about, but let's say there are at least 16 people there. Now Martha is running around worrying about what they're going to eat and how am I going to serve all these people by myself. Not only has she taken on the responsibility uh, of this, she's taken on the care of it. And not only has she taken on the care of it, she's upset because Mary won't take on the care of it with her. Now, we don't have any record that Jesus asked her to cook that day. We don't have any record that Jesus asked her to cook anything. Uh, he may have said, don't worry about food. When we're finished, I'm going to take everybody out to eat. You just come sit down and listen. Don't worry about the food. I'm taking everybody out afterward. He may have said something as simple as make a pot of coffee and just bring out what biscuits you have already. That'll be sufficient. That'll be fine. But she turned something as simple as coffee and biscuits into an elaborate three-course dinner party. And she gets out the china, the crystal, the silver tea service, uh, and this has all become a burden to her. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am big, big, big on God should have the best and that God, we should do the best for God and his people. And, and God should always have the best, and there's nothing too good for God. Uh, we should not cut corners when it comes to the things of God. It, but it could also be that Martha was a perfectionist. If the wine was at the perfect temperature, or if the pie crust was too brown, or if the steaks weren't cooked to perfection, it, she just came undone. 
And, and this became a big crisis just because she could have been a perfectionist. Now, pulling off something like this, it, it could be, you know, she wasn't even anointed in the area of cooking and entertaining people. If, even if Jesus wanted a three-course meal with the works, maybe she should have just had someone outside cater it and bring the food in. Now, for somebody like my mother, this would have been no problem. She was anointed in the gift of hospitality. She loved to cook. She loved to entertain people. No problem. I mean, she was in her prime when she was entertaining uh, people. And she made it look so easy. So easy when she was in her, in her prime. And, uh, you know, she would just, you, you would have thought she'd spent days putting this all together. And not necessarily. And both of my sisters are the same way. I mean, they're the same way. You, you can just drop something on them like that, and they can come up with a luncheon in two hours. You know what I mean? So, but, but we get the impression here Martha was not maybe gifted in that way, you know, because this has all become a burden. And this is one of the ways that you can identify your gifts and anointings from God. If something is easy for you, and then you, you enjoy doing it, and you're not satisfied doing anything else, uh, and, and uh, you, you love it, uh, you know, it's not a burden to you. This is one of the ways you can identify what God's gifted you and, and call you to do. <clears throat> so, let's look at verse 42. Let me get over there. Uh, verse 42. In the midst of all this uproar, Jesus says, in the King James, he says, one thing is needful. One thing would have avoided this entire uproar. All Martha had to do was ask Jesus one question. Do you want me to cook today, or do you have other plans? I did If she would have just asked one question, do you want me to cook and prepare a meal today, or do you have other plans, it would have solved, it would have avoided this entire uproar. Instead of asking, finding out what his plan was, she was trying to work out her plan, and she was running around, fuming, upset, and frustrated because Mary wouldn't help her with her plan. And all she had to do was find out what Jesus wanted. Do you think, um, you know, Jesus was more concerned about what they were going to eat? Uh, do you think it was a priority to him for Martha to fix a three-course dinner party with all the works that he did not even ask for, or for them all to sit down in the Word and just enjoy their fellowship together. The second, wasn't it? That's what was important to him. That's what was important to him. And that's why he said, Mary has made the right choice. She has her priorities in order. Her priorities are right, and 
And Martha, you know, she could have said, Lord, I've been looking forward to you coming. I don't have anything fixed. There's no food in this house. And you're going to have to do something about it because I'm sitting and I'm, I'm going to listen to the word. And Jesus would have taken care of it. Hadn't he already fed 5,000? Hadn't he already turned water into wine? No problem. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. Okay, I think we're going to finish there today. And we'll take up here next.